Welcome to the Walk Podcast of the Thompson Institute, a podcast for students and faculty on your walk across campus as a resource for your spiritual journey. I'm Aaron Badenhop. And I'm Jordan Browning. And we are your hosts and fellow Buckeyes. In the last portion of our interview with Dr. Vanderpoy, we ask him about how he looks at the Bible as an ancient historian and what he perceives to be the ways that some Christians go off course in defending their faith. So you have uh, spent many years uh, analyzing ancient texts. Uh, that's kind of what you've done for the better part of your days for, for yep. a long time. <laughs> and I mention that because... Um, a lot of people who study ancient texts consider the Bible to be just like any other ancient text. You know, it's it's just a, a flawed book of ancient literature, just mm. like anything else in history. And I guess my question is, like, how do you view the Bible? Uh, how might you, uh, as a Christian, view the Bible differently than um, just like any other yeah. old ancient text in history? Yeah. Or the same for that matter. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, every every book and form of literature has its flaws. Um, you know, the Bible is something written down by the people of a variety of different periods. And it bears the marks of those people and their culture, bears the beautiful marks of, the, of those peoples. Uh, you know, just read the Psalms. I mean, that's incredible poetry. Um, but And so it, it's going to have maybe what we'd call flaws or things that just really do not seem believable or, or acceptable uh, in terms of cultural values to us. Um, so it is important to place it in its historical context. That is, yeah, it's, it's another book from the past that maybe has, I guess you could say, flaws to it. And I, again, I don't want to ruffle feathers here. I know there's maybe some more conservative, maybe Christians out there who have a very, 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 very strict view of its inerrancy or, or you know, mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't have any mistakes to it. Personally, for me, uh, I view it as, as a story about humankind, um, you know, and a, a story that goes downhill pretty quickly by the third chapter of Genesis, mm -hmm. <laughs> but one that is a story about our relationship to our creator mm -hmm. um, that involves um, problems, um, <laughs> uh, involves the introduction of sin and, 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 you know, evil to this world, but also involves, a, it's a story of redemption as well. Um, on some level, once you make leaps of faith, um, you don't need, I think, a piece of literature to conform exactly to my modernist uh, expectations. Mm. To be fair as well, there's a lot of modern literature that is deeply flawed and in and, mm -hmm. and which you could suggest uh, you could critique its perspective, the reliability of its perspective. Um, there's even a lot of that going on in, in, you know, modern TV shows on Netflix, HBO, or whatever, where you question the reliability of a narrator. So that's not just something we do, but with ancient texts. That's something you could do with a, a book that was written, you know, 10 years ago. And in that sense, <laughs> I would, I'd be a little bit more skeptical of, of, of a religious book if it was just written, you know, 50 years ago or, you know, something like Scientology or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, all, you know, with all due respect to everybody's choices to believe what they want. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an ancient historian, so I don't have anywhere near as the, uh, the kind of skepticism towards ancient texts as someone else might. I'm more skeptical <laughs> of modern literature. Um, but I don't know if that's a perfect answer to the question. Hmm. So uh, it sounds like 
correct me if I'm wrong. I want to try to restate to you what I what I'm yeah. hearing you say that um, that there's a way in which today we might look at the Bible and see what we perceive based on sort of modernist looking at, of course. at things that yeah. we we might perceive flaws in the in the text. But for you, uh, this is a text that uh, God has has used to convey. Uh, like what's true about life or what's true about the world. And yeah. so in spite of maybe with like modernist classes, what you may see as, as flaws that for you, this, there is a sense of, of divine revelation yeah. through, through this text. Is that a fair way to describe what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. I think absolutely. Yeah. I do believe that this is a book that has revealed um, the truth of our, again, of our, of our, existence, our, our creation, our, our relationship to God as a creator, uh, to God as who is our home, you know. Um, it's a book about, you know, to put it in maybe terms that people like C.S. Lewis have used, it's a book about sort of homesickness mm. um, and the, trying to get back mm. um, or what is our way, you know, as the path has become bent and how, you know, and then um, the idea that Christ came to, to sort of redeem that, correct that path, redeem our, our fallen nature. Um, yeah. And again, I, I think I, I've always liked the way C.S. Lewis put it of, you know, um, he says in a sense, all sicknesses are homesickness. Um, mm. that in other words, all our problems are ultimately the homesickness we feel of being severed, uh, from our creator and from, from God. Mm. Well, it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about that because I think in our, in our modern moment, uh, in the last hundred years or so, it seems like uh, there have been a lot of sort of skeptical scholars of of history and oh, of yeah. the Bible, yeah. and uh, there have been a lot of scholars who've kind of become popularized in critiquing the historical Jesus, yeah. Yeah. and and then you have uh, Christians who are devout in their faith who uh, can tend to be very uh, defensive um, mm-hmm. sure. in, in sort of defending the historicity of the New Testament <laughs> views yeah. of, of Jesus. And I'm just curious from, from your own perspective, like what are the, what are the ways that, it, that Christians can go off course in, right. in their defensiveness, if that makes sense? Yeah. Um, whew, yeah. That's a really good question. Um, one that, because the, the results of that, of going off course, can do just so much damage. Um, the results of misunderstanding your fellow human beings and seeing them as an enemy rather than someone who deserves, or maybe doesn't deserve it always, but is, um, is someone who can be loved, uh, can create such problems. I see a lot of the debate, especially when they, when they get toxic and, and divisive, as, as an inability to live and let live in some ways, um, that, um, almost like a crusade in a way that you cannot, you cannot have your own views. If you have your own views, I don't get to have mine. And that's what you'd call zero sum thinking. And that always just everybody loses in that scenario. I was just recently actually at a conference this past week and I was sitting down with someone uh, at dinner one night having in, in some ways a heated, not really heated, but a very strong conversation with someone whose views were very just different to mine, uh, you know, in some ways kind of opposite. And there were times where I was just like really heated and, and or just thought, you know, like, I can't believe you would think that. But the funny thing was the longer we actually sat at that table, 
interacting with each other face-to-face as human beings, the more common ground we began to find and just the more human that person becomes. And to see someone as a human is to see someone who is, is lovable. Uh, it strikes me that at this moment, uh, whether it's debates on uh, certain divides or whether it's this divide over you know, I, I, how I view the Bible or how you view it, it strikes me that we've lost the capacity to see the other side as human and not mm. just a monster. Mm. And I think that if we can sit down more and actually just talk about those differences, it's not to kind of paint some bright, sunny picture, you know, that everything will just be perfectly uh, right. Um, but um, differences are, are okay um, in a sense. And I think, again, for me, with a grace-based worldview, it also frees me up from any sort of like tyrannical feeling that I've got to uh, colonize the world with my exact viewpoint. Um, I'm not perfect. And um, I may not interact with everybody perfectly, but I don't have to go around with that burden of, of, of you know, second guessing it all the time and knowing, did, oh gosh, did I convert that person to my view? And I think both sides, whether you doubt the Bible or, or whether you really believe uh, the Bible has not a single flaw to it or whatever, both sides sometimes, you, it's so easy to get stuck in. And again, once you do that, it's the next step to just seeing the other person as a monster, as something that's inhuman, and all possibility of love is, is just lost. So, um, yeah, I think um, those are some of the ways I think that we can go wrong um, in treating uh, fellow human beings. I also think that I've had some of the best conversations and I've have actually met someone as a human being the best when we've sat down and acknowledged our differences. I remember, again, in some of my past years of studies, sitting down with someone who was still a polytheist, you know, a pagan. Uh, they considered themselves and believed in all sorts of nature kind of deities and things like that. And the funny thing was at the end of the day, we actually found out one thing we had just in common was that we believed in the divine. You know, mm -hmm. that actually we had more in common than someone who was atheistic or secular, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's funny also some certain things reveal themselves like that. And again, I just think it's uh, we can go wrong the minute we just say, I can't have a conversation with you. You are not right. Therefore, you're just a, a monster. Um, and I just will never see your side. Instead, I just need to climb over you, get above you, conquer you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just toxic. So, uh You've been, we've been kind of talking around this, I feel like, the whole conversation. Um, but curious uh, what you imagine might happen um, if you were to remove sort of the historicity from faith. Mm. Uh, what might that do even to Christianity if, if we were to sort of ignore any sense of it being hmm. rooted in history? Yeah, I think maybe it would become more of just a simple program by which to live your life. I mean, you know, um, maybe like a AA or something like that. With all due respect to AA, because that's a probably incredible program uh, that has helped people. But when you remove the historical fact that this guy was born, was crucified, and uh, from what the sources tell us, apparently rose from the dead. Uh, when you remove the historical fact, though, that, uh, that he existed you know, about 2,000 years ago, this person existed, suddenly it becomes more of just, I think, a kind of nebulous sort of uh, wellness program. Mm. Um, and that's not really what Christianity is, because fundamentally Christianity is saying, um, I can't make my life work. It's a mess. 
Um, it's finally acknowledging that and acknowledging that I actually need the redemption to come from outside, not from within myself. It's not some journey of self-discovery. Um, it's actually something much more beautiful than that. It's to realize you're a mess and that you are so deeply loved despite that. And that takes a historical person. Ultimately, I believe that that is, you know, the existence of Christ as a historical fact was God reaching into our world as a form of love. Yeah. Thanks. That's great. Um, so uh, curious as well, what might you say to the student who started listening uh, to this interview? Um, you know, many, many probably uh, were listening who do come from a religious yeah. background or would call themselves Christian, right. but hopefully there are some also who are really wrestling with these things yeah. or even uh, are coming from a place where they're saying like, no, I, I don't believe these things. I'm not even doubting that. Yeah. Um, so what would you, might you say to the person listening who, um, you know, might be saying, okay, Jesus, you know, was just a fairy tale, um, but but they're, uh, they they might want to start considering investigating uh, the evidence of who Jesus is, I guess. Like, where might yeah. that person start? Oh, gosh, where would they start? Um, well, first of all, I would say to those, if I can, uh, if I would say to those people, especially if you're facing forms of doubt, whether you are in the church or out of it or in belief or not in belief, um, is that you are not alone. And that you are a deeply important person and your views matter and your viewpoint matters. Um, and you should never, whatever side you're on, you shouldn't feel shame if you are struggling or sh uh, with, with forms of belief or unbelief. Um, again, you're important and your views matter. Where to go from there, practically speaking, uh, if you wanted to investigate, you know, I guess, yeah, the historicity of, of Christianity or, or, or Jesus, uh, I mean, I guess I would start with the, the Gospels. Um, you can read those are, you know, as a historian, what we would call the primary source. Uh, you know, go right to the sources. Um, personally, and I'm just a big fan of uh, someone like a C.S. Lewis. And I, I've, I, I've, um, I think I said, you know, at the very beginning, the uh, intellectually, the book that just blew my mind and kind of uh, changed me, two books really, was C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. And then um, a book by G.K. Chesterton called Orthodoxy. Um, those two books, and, and they can be a little bit heavy in some places, but um, they were uh, profoundly uh, um, influential for me uh, in, in helping me understand things like belief, um, the existence maybe of God. Um, that is to say, outside of the, the trite and classically rehearsed arguments you might find in a philosophy class or whatever. Um, someone like C.S. Lewis seemed to write with the ability of someone who just wanted to talk to you and maybe share a beer with you. Um, and so, yeah, I, you know, and, and again, I said for me, maybe more on the kind of emotional, spiritual side of things, uh, Brennan, Brennan Manning's The Ragamuffin Gospel is just a, a tour de force of what it means to be broken, uh, to be just a, a, a screw up and be nevertheless deeply loved. And that's something that seems to be an incredibly short supply. Um, so I'm, I'm getting off that, the original question. But um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, something like mere Christianity would be a good starting point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. thanks. Well, Dr. Vanderpoy, thanks so much for spending this time to be yeah. part of this interview. It's awesome to hear your responses to our questions. And 
yeah, just thanks a lot. Well, Appreciate thank you. It. I mean, I'm humbled that you guys asked me to come uh, talk with you, and I've, en- I've enjoyed it. This has been great. Thanks so much. Aaron, I really appreciated, um, again, this, this last portion of our interview with Dr. Vanderpoy and even just the reminder when he was talking kind of about that zero-sum thinking, how, how tempting it is in a discussion with someone who disagrees with us uh, to want to see them as the enemy, um, but how valuable it can be um, to really treat them as human, to treat them as I would want to be treated. Um, and then that, that's such a healthy starting point um, in a discussion with, um, with those that maybe have disagreements or uh, want to work through something together. Dr. Vanderpoy is a history lecturer at OSU that believes that the Bible was given to us through human writers from God to reveal the true story we're living in as human beings while he articulated the belief that Jesus lived, died on the cross, and rose from the grave. And in context of the secular university, this is profound and ought to be probably the most important takeaway from our discussion about the Bible. But there is an intramural debate within Christian circles, and it's described by Boyd and Eddy as between those who are inerrantists and infallibilists. Inerrantists believe that there is not a single flaw in the Bible, that any apparent flaws can be explained or at least will one day be reconciled. Many Christians have this view because they see it as being theologically consistent with the belief that God is all-wise and perfect, and therefore God cannot inspire a text that contains errors. And I think this is a valid concern or way of thinking. On the other side of the intramural debate, so to speak, there are infallibilists that also argue that the Bible is inspired by God, but rather argue that its trustworthiness is related not to the small and insignificant details in the Bible, but specifically to the big picture matters of faith and practice. The limitations of the human authors are emphasized in this view, but the core doctrines and ethics of the Bible are trustworthy and true. To learn more about this debate within Christian circles, you can check out a chapter in the book called Across the Spectrum by Boyd and Eddy, and you can find a link to that book and the books that Dr. Vanderpoy mentions in the episode notes. An important takeaway from all of this is that one can have questions about the nature of the Bible and still have faith in Jesus as the Messiah. If you haven't yet, please take a moment to subscribe to The Walk Podcast so that you can be automatically notified when our next series of episodes will be released. And stay tuned for our next interview with an OSU professor on The Walk. Thanks so much for listening to The Walk of the Thompson Institute. The personal views presented by the scholars and professors on our podcast do not represent the views of their employer. For upcoming events and for more information, visit thethompsoninstitute.org a program of crew at Ohio State.